What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. I am your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. I am joined by my co-hosts, the one and only Mr. 360, Tyler Pacholke, and of course, co-host producer extraordinaire, Jacob Gonzalez. Before we start the show, we appreciate you all so much for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Also, be sure to rate and review the show as well. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on all social media platforms and follow all of us as well at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double underscore Gonzalez. On this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show, we'll cover everything going on in the NBA playoffs down in the bubble. We'll also react to Major League Baseball's trade deadline and the latest episodes from Hard Knocks, as well as Leonard Fournette getting cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars and Derwin James being sidelined for the foreseeable future. All this and more coming up on episode 156 of the TSK Show, coming up right now. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 156 of the Sports Kingdom show. I'm your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. Joining me as always, my co-host, Tyler Pacholke. Tyler, how you living, man? I'm doing good, man. Doing all right. Um, it's been some crazy basketball finishes of late. That's been enjoyable. Definitely has. I mean, the NBA playoffs always have something sweet in store for us. But uh, sitting across from me, running the board, Jacob Gonzalez. Jacob, what's up, bro? How you doing? Good. How you doing, man? Chilling. Hanging in there? Yeah, I mean, you know, had to work early yesterday. Yeah, you've had a, a rough week. Yeah, I had to cover the morning show. I had to be at work at like 2.30 in the morning yesterday. So I'm still kind of feeling the effects of that, but we'll get through it. It's all right. So we'll, your, your lunchtime for those shifts is like 10.30. Honestly, I didn't even eat on oh. the shift. I, I waited till I you got home. You forget, too. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of moving parts on that show. So got to pick and choose your spots. But before we get into the first topic of the night, we have to remind you about our friends who make probably the best coffee ever. This episode of the Sports Kingdom show is sponsored by Campus Point Coffee. Campus Point Coffee was founded in 2019 by former UC Santa Barbara students, but due to the COVID-19 pandemic, they had to go strictly online. TSK show listeners will get 15% off their purchase from campuspointcoffee.com by entering the promo code TSK show. That's promo code TSK show 15% off your purchase from campuspointcoffee.com. And Campus Point Coffee has a variety of different roasts to choose from. And even if coffee really isn't your thing, they have plenty of other merch like mugs, tumblers, t-shirts, and even a tote bag. You can find all of these great items all on campuspointcoffee.com. My dad starts every morning with the Deltopia medium roast and he says there's no other way he'd rather start his day. And then I also got a t-shirt and tumbler on the way. Oh man, I need a t-shirt. Uh, I've been flying through my bags. Like I, like I always say, it's probably the best coffee I ever had. And um, I have the espresso every morning. Well, I'm with Eric's dad. There's nothing like that medium roast. Every morning I have it and every morning I feel good. Support us while supporting a company that makes probably the best coffee ever, in addition to helping save the beaches at the same time. And Campus Point Coffee takes a portion of their profits and organizes their own beach cleanups. 
So if you're a coffee lover or you want to rock some cool merch while helping save the beaches, just enter promo code TSK show at checkout for 15% off your purchase from campuspointcoffee.com. That's promo code TSK show for 15% off your purchase at campuspointcoffee.com. I'm just about that action, boss. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. That's why we took the damn field. I'm just here, so I won't get fired. Straight cash, homie. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them all go. That's as good an effort as I've ever seen in my life from a running back. Don't you ever talk about me. Wilson. Toward the end zone. The hold is down. The kick clears the line. And Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? Seattle's going to the Super Bowl. All right, guys, we're one week away from the NFL season kicking off. That's that's pretty exciting. And Tyler, we have the TSK show fantasy football league draft coming up. You want to you want to talk about that for a minute? Uh yeah, man. I mean, I, I know you want to. <laughs> definitely can talk to fancy football. Um, yeah, man, the draft's on Monday. It's Keepers League. Got all our keepers in. Got the draft order set. Everybody's kind of foaming at the mouth. I actually did a, I actually did a personal mock draft. And so I'm going to put, I'm going to pull that up and put it in an envelope and see how good I did. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, no, I'm excited for the draft. It's on, uh, it's on, Yeah, it's on Monday. Sorry. So this coming Monday, the draft is set, and we'll be ready to rock for another year uh, for the TSK Show Fantasy Football League, and we'll we'll keep you updated here on the show throughout the season. Hopefully we'll be able to finish the season. But uh, in real talk, Leonard Fournette the other day was cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he cleared waivers and became a free agent and – about probably an hour and a half before the show started, he it was announced by Adam Schefter, I think he was first, that he was signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So before we before we talk about the impact of him signing with the Bucks, I wanted to first ask, what the hell is going on in Jacksonville? They traded uh, Ngakwe. They've had a whole bunch of players uh, this offseason either leave or have uh, disagreements with the front office. And it, it's been highly pu- uh, publicized. Uh, it first started, I think, with Jalen Ramsey before he got traded to the Rams. What What's going on in Jacksonville that would lead to Leonard Fournette getting cut? Uh, I mean, they're obviously just not, you know, the players and the team are just on the same, same page. Obviously, they, the team had great success, you know, I think it was two seasons ago now. Um, yeah, they were in the and, AFC you know, Championship of, and had the lead at halftime against the Patriots. So a lot of those guys, you know, want money. And, you know, the team probably feels like, you know, it's more of a team team game. You know, a lot of those guys, you know, like the uh, – I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He did it pretty well just now. Ngakwe? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't – you know, he popped off that season – Leonard Fournette kind of popped off that season as far as like putting injuries uh, aside and getting a full like productive year in there. Um, they probably you know got overproduction from their quarterback uh, 
quarterback play, but ultimately I think they're just trying to turn turn the football uh, team over, uh, starting with Jalen Ramsey last year, and then you know going to Fortnite. Um, they're just in complete rebuild mode. I think they like. Uh, I think Gardner Minshew. They like Gardner Minshew. I think they like some of the young receivers, um, but ultimately they've chose to just completely rebuild rather than sign one of those big name guys that. You know, I even like Clayus Campbell. I think was on that Saxonville team. Yeah, he was. Um, and, and you know, and they had Allen Robinson, and they had. Um, Pretty sure they had Marquise Lee. Well, at Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns. Yeah, Allen Hearns. That's right. Um, and so you, you know, I think that they basically upper management must have just been like it was coaching and structure and style of play rather than individual players and. So all their star players bounce. It'll be, you know, on paper they look pretty bad. So we'll see how we'll see how this year goes. I do like Minshew though, but I mean, I don't know how far he can take you yeah. as far as like without the help, you know. Now if he has the Saxonville type defense and a running back like Leonard Fournette, then maybe you know they could do some damage. But they let all those pieces go. Yeah, I think one of the big things is they're just trying to get rid of everything from the Tom Coughlin era. They thought they were going to maybe find some magic with bringing Tom Coughlin in to to run the football side of the organization after he had so much success in New York with the Giants, winning two Super Bowls with Eli Manning and all of that. They wanted to bring him in to, to run the football operations and all of that, and it just completely backfired the players did not like the way Coughlin was running the team. And now that there's a new regime in there, I think they're just trying to clean house. And this is obviously the perfect example of it. Leonard Fournette, he's coming off uh, probably a career year in his short career. I mean, this is, he's going into, I believe, his fourth year in the league now. But he, was, he, he had dealt with some injuries uh, the year before after that Saxonville team. Uh, that, that was his rookie year. And... Now, well, and he, and he had injuries in college as well. Right. So, I mean, Leonard obviously thinks he is deserving of more pay. He was only due, I think it was like four point something million dollars this year from Jacksonville, and he wanted a new contract, and Jacksonville wasn't willing to give him give it to him, and they didn't want to trade him. Doug, uh, their head coach, Doug Marone, even came out and said they couldn't even get a sixth-round pick for Fournette, which I think is crazy, and it's kind of a – don't kick him while he's down kind of thing. I mean, I wouldn't have maybe gone public with that, but that's that's another story for another day. That's just that's just a position, you know, that's just, Yeah, no one wants to pay a running back. True, that's not that's not his true value either, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, not at all. He's a top value. He's a top value running back, but everybody knows that like you said Jaguars are just cleaning house right now. They know you got to get rid of them. They're not going to, you know, give you anything when and know you'll just cut him, and they can have a free, you know, free shot at him, basically. So, what do you think uh, his impact will be in Tampa Bay? I think it's going to be big time. I think he's going to play every single first and second down. Well, his if he if he's healthy, he's going to he's going to run the ball a lot on first and second down. Um, they've got you know, obviously they have Shady, they signed Shady this year, and they they've drafted Ronald, Ronald Jones. Jones. Well, they they had Ronald Jones who was on the team last year. Well, yeah, but he was there. He was there like first round pick last year, wasn't he? 
I, I don't know necessarily. I know that he was like a productive back and everybody's kind of like, you know, he's the one that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But listen, this is, you know. <laughs> no, you're bringing in Shady McCoy and Leonard Fournette. Yeah. They're, they're trying to win a Super Bowl, not go eight and eight. You know what I mean? Like, Ronald Jones is a, is a terrific running back. And I think that he'll get some touches. But that's not the Buccaneers' concern. I mean, they're trying to win a Super Bowl right now. And, you know, both Shady and Fournette are on one-year deals. So, you know, they, they go the distance. They play really well. They make a playoff run. He stays solid. He could be their feature back in the future. Right. You know they're, I mean? so they're, they're in prove-it scenarios. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that he was thrown in the doghouse quite yet. But, I mean, I also just think they're all in on winning a Super Bowl. They got as talented as the offensive as I've ever seen. And having a running back like Leonard Fournette is going to make Tom Brady's job easier. And if Tom Brady's job is easy, then all, you know, Godwin and Evans and Gronk and Howard, I mean, it's just going to be stupid easy. I mean, you can't – I don't know how you stop Tampa Bay. Just can't put eight in the box. Tom's going to pick you apart. Can't put seven in the box. They're just going to run it down your throat. So, uh, Fournette's a four four yards of carry kind of guy, you know. So, yeah, he can be. Uh, they're going to they're, – so, it's like, you know, they're looking at third and short every, every drive, no matter what, basically. That's going to be easy pickings for Tom and the rest of those vets. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be hard to pick against Tampa Bay, especially at least just for who's going to win the NFC South. Jacob, would you say that this automatically puts Tampa Bay over the top in terms of they're going to win the NFC South and basically take over the reins from New Orleans? Well, I think they were already favorites to begin with, but on the topic of uh, Leonard Fournier about his injuries too. When you have somebody like Tom and the way they orchestrate an offense, Leonard again, Fournette. Yeah, sorry. There you go. Uh, Thinking the, Evan Fournier. No, yeah, completely <laughs> mix up the names. But <laughs> when you have when you have somebody like Brady and the way he orchestrates the offense and the time of possession, I think his injuries um, on the defensive end, he's going to get that more rest that he needs as far as uh, on the defensive side. When Brady takes up so much time, the defense doesn't have to work as much. So it's going to be a good balance. But again, to answer your question about if they're going to be heavily favored now, I think they were already before. This just puts them at an extra, you know, another level. So they, they're just starting to stack all these pieces. I really just don't hope that it's all this hype. I don't think it's going to be because we've seen this before with other teams. You know, they get all these pieces and it, sometimes it doesn't work. But I doubt this one's going to be like that. Tyler, what about you? Does this make them the, the odds on favorite? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that Fournette, I think, I, I don't think that they were necessarily, I think it was a lot closer without Fournette with yeah. New Orleans and them. I agree with you that. You know what I mean? But, but God damn, they just went from a team that I thought was just going to have to, they were just going to air it out and they were going to be, you know, old school. Tom Brady's now the best talent he has. But now it's like, this is going to be so much easier for them. And, and just like, you know, Jacob said, to control the ball is to keep, you know, your defense off the field. And when your defense is fresh, they, they could play a lot better, a lot more efficiently. Um, so this man just makes everything so much easier with these vets. And the fact that all these guys are vets is why I don't think it's going to be like a, a Cleveland Brown scenario of last year. Yeah, that's what, where, that's what first came know, to mind was you get all these pieces like the Cleveland Browns, but obviously 
a lot more dysfunctional of an organization. I think it's yeah, well, I think it's a different it's completely different, especially with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady being the head coach quarterback duo instead of Marvin Lewis or not well, Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson and Baker Mayfield. You well, you and you got you got Gronk is a vet and OJ Howard is probably the better you know, might be the better body right now at Gronk's age. So it's like your your best tight end and your backup tight end are basically a wash. You know, uh, Shady McCoy's a vet. Leonard Fournette's in his prime. Mike Evans is a vet. Godwin's in his prime. I mean, these guys are just, uh, they're ready to go in all aspects of the game. Yeah, they got and the total package what, now. I don't care who's on the defense. It doesn't really matter because they're going to control the ball. Tom, Tom doesn't have to push it down the field anymore. Um, because if I'm an NFL defense, I got to make this team beat me with the pass. Uh, but if you're going to try and make Tom Brady beat you with the pass, and he's got Evans and Godwin and, and Howard and Gronk. And, he's got plenty of weapons on it from the air, it's, too. It, it's just problems. I think Fournette um, puts them over the edge with New Orleans by like a good margin, purely based off of just their their play style. It's going it, to be a lot slower. Not going to be as much air under it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, next thing on the docket for the NFL, Derwin James, uh, defensive back for the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said San Diego, and they've been in L.A. for three years now. Um, it would have pissed a whole lot of people off. <laughs> I don't care. I'm a Rams fan. <laughs> but the L.A. Chargers are going to be without Derwin James for the foreseeable future once again. He's going to be out like six to eight months after knee surgery after injuring his knee in training camp. I mean, Derwin James is one of the best young talents in the NFL, but he just can't stay healthy. And I just, I feel so bad for the, for the guy. Cause he, I know he's working, working hard and he wants to be out there, but just another blow for a chargers team that once again is setting their sights on winning the Super Bowl because they do have a lot of talent on their roster. And Anthony Lynn just announced, uh, I believe it was today or yesterday, that Tyrod Taylor was going to be the starter day one, and he's going into his tenth year. Uh, I don't, I don't know where this this puts the Chargers. Losing Derwin James, he's probably besides Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, the other cornerstone of that defense. It's it's tough that they're going to lose out on having him once again. It seems like the same story from last year has been rewritten again because last year they had the same problem with all the injuries, and they had such high expectations for that team last season. And you saw a couple months in that it just wasn't going to go with all the injuries, and some of these some of these players, just, they just couldn't pick up the slack. And ultimately, just left him out very quick. Yeah, Tyler, what do you what do you think about Derwin James's situation? Yeah, uh, sucks. I mean, he's definitely like one of the top talented guys, and you hate to see careers derailed by injuries. But this one's going to be tough to bounce back from. Uh, obviously, the Chargers are going to miss him, um, but I don't necessarily think that it changes uh, kind of where they're at in the hierarchy of the NFL. I think they're still there's still a, a there's still a threat. Um, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I do just I feel super bad for him because I know how talented he is. I know how bad he wants to be on the field and make that money. You know, he's, he's still 
Uh, I, I believe he still had his rookie contract. Yeah, he is. So, yeah, so it's like, you know, these are big time, you know, missing this season could cost him a lot, a lot of money in his next next contract. So, and it sucks, man. The Chargers just got their new stadium. You mean the Rams just got their new stadium? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Looks like it's just as much the Chargers as it is the Rams. Stan Kroenke's the one that paid for it, and it's it's the house that Aaron Donald built, as, as they said in Hard Knocks. So, well, if the D tackle built it, then I think it's up for grabs. <laughs> All right. Well, before if if, if if anything, the Chargers got a, got a free house. Yeah, no, I mean, they do have to pay rent to the Rams, technically. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but anyway, before before we get into more hard knock stuff, Tyler, you had a few quarterback battles uh, for this season that you wanted to, to touch on that you think people should watch out for. Yeah, well, we just talked about one of them. They're obviously kind of – there wasn't very many this year. Um, typically, there, I feel like there's like, half, you know, six, seven, eight of them. One of them we just heard was Ty Taylor. Uh, getting a start uh, for the Chargers. Um, he was in a battle with the rookie Justin Herbert, sixth overall pick. This one, I think, is purely because of where the team's at. They want to win right now. I think Justin Herbert's the better quarterback for the franchise in the long run. But Ty Taylor today is a vet, 10-year vet. He's done a lot of winning in the league. Um, so I think that this is the smart move because – you're basically giving your team, you know, the veteran, the leadership, the guy that's going to be able to kind of keep his composure and know what to do in tight, important games. And you're bringing along just your your future slowly. And then if so be, they get off to a rough start and, you know, they're not the playoff picture, you know, nine, ten weeks into the season, then they're going to roll with Herbert, who is, um, if you've been watching Hard Knocks at all, this kid's going to be a bona fide stud. Yeah, they really He's, like what they're uh, seeing from him. He's a prototype, man. He can throw the ball. It's uh, I don't know about, you know, I'm always kind of scared with younger guys. It's like taking snaps under center, uh, commanding a huddle, you know, like pace of play, down distance type of stuff they didn't really focus on in college. But that's what's great about having a Ty Taylor um, around. He's going to teach him all that and be the crutch for the franchise to win him some football games because Ty Taylor can get it done. You know what I mean? Just because he doesn't have the physical attributes that Herbert has, um, he's got, you know, 10 times the experience. So uh, that one's name. I'm, I'm glad they went with this one. I totally this forgot. To I totally forgot that Tyrod Taylor was Joe Flacco's backup uh, when they won the Super Bowl in Baltimore. Yeah, man. He's, uh, he's done a lot of crazy things. Like the Buffalo Bills uh, breaking their playoff streak in the longest playoff job in pro sports, you know, that's, that's something obviously winning a Super Bowl is something um, the dude, the dude can play. I think he's always kind of, it's never been the perfect scenario. It's never been his situation. It's never been his team. And it, and it still really isn't today, but he's sometimes similar to like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, he still wins quarterback battles constantly. Yeah. And then um, the other one that I don't think is much of a competition, but, it is. It's probably the one that's in the news the most is New England. Yeah, uh, we've kind of broken. We've kind of broken this one down before. Jared Stidham, the young kid out of Auburn, um, he looks to be someone that I think New Orleans, New England, is shaping to be their starter in the future. Um, they brought in Brian Hoyer, who is a veteran guy that's played for the Patriots multiple times, knows the system, um, 
And I think that's going to ultimately be the backup to Cam Newton, who I look, you know, for them to obviously roll with him. Cam's going to do his thing in New England, so I'm excited about that. Brian Moore will be the backup, and then I think they'll just bring Stidham along slowly as the third stringer. Um, another AFC East battle is the Miami battle, which is probably – this one's pretty interesting. I, they got three guys that I think could all be starters. Josh Rosen, um, who's going to be a third-year player. They got the rookie, Tua. And then we've got uh, Fitzmagic in the mix. I, I like Fitzmagic to beat out Josh Rosen for the starting starting gig and Tua. Um, I don't think that they are considering Tua as a week one starter. I don't think Tua sees uh, the field at all this year. And that's more of what I think. I think if you since you have Rosen, who's a capable young guy, it's – you might as well. Uh, and Fitzpatrick is the clear, I just think, the clear quarterback that gives you the best chance to win a game. Yeah. So, um, I, th- I think you're right. I don't think I think Tua doesn't see much time. Similar to Jared Stidham. Um, and they just learn, which is like to have two quarterbacks ahead of you as a rookie um, or a young quarterback, that's that's big time. And it's going to help their, their futures out. And then the last one, this one to me is the one that's the most up in the air. Uh, is Chicago with Trubisky and Foles. Uh, I think Foles is the guy that gives them a better chance to win, but they invested so much in Trubisky that I don't know if you can go back on it. So, I mean, as a bear, uh, you know, as a Bears fan, I, I need to see Trubisky out there and continue to grow. I don't and know. How, I don't know. Get, how... they, what's up? No, I was just going to say, I don't know how uh, Mitch Trubisky – plays another down in the NFL if he isn't the starter because that that type of shot to his confidence and the type of car- career trajectory he's been on and and what we've seen from him if he's not the starter week one for the Chicago Bears I, I don't know if he ever plays another down in the NFL uh, it just depends on his personality I don't know him but there's a lot of resilient guys out there that come back from injuries come back from getting, you know, their jobs taken. Kind of all, I mean, Alex Smith kind of embodies all that. Um, so it just depends. I mean, I think he's still a physically gifted guy. He just needs to, to learn, you know, learn the game a little more. Um, he, has some, he has some tools. I don't think he's completely a mess. But I think that the – I think Chicago needs to start him and give him a shot to run this offense. You know, they have a good defense. They should have a decent run game, at least a better run game than their pass game. So, you know, if Trubisky doesn't, you know, produce this year, then you got to cut ties. You got to go with Foles. But it's going to be tough for the coaches because I can only imagine how good Foles looks in practice, and they know what Trubisky's done in games. So Foles is kind of probably get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So all right, the four matchups, the four quarterback battles you said that people should watch out for were the Chargers with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, New England with Cam Newton, uh, Jared Stidham, and Brian Hoyer. Then we got Miami with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, and Tua Tagovailoa. And then last but not least, Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Yeah, man, it's pretty crazy how how few amount of quarterback controversies there are out there this year. Yeah. So all right, let's uh let's wrap up the football talk with a little bit of hard knocks. Uh 
we didn't talk about it last week, so ep- we'll, we'll quickly go over episodes three and four. Uh, the highlights for me from episode three were Keenan Allen and Chris Harris's rivalry turning turned to teammates. Uh, obviously, Chris Harris Jr. was in Denver for so many years and going up against Keenan Allen twice a year. Keenan Allen, obviously one of the top receivers in the league for the past, I don't know, 10-plus years. Um, Melvin Ingram's hold-in. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything more professional uh, in terms of a holdout scenario. And then the seventh-round pick for the Rams, Clay Johnston's dad, was the strength coach in Green Bay for the Packers during Brett Favre's tenure. And him and Brett Favre became so close that uh, Clay Johnson's dad was actually Brett Favre's best man at his wedding. Uh, They showed a Zoom call between the three of them, and uh, Brett just kind of giving some encouraging words to Clay Johnston. And I thought it was really funny how Clay kept calling him Papa Favre because I guess that's probably what he was calling him as he grew up. They, They showed a throwback picture of Brett Favre holding Clay as a baby like a football as if he's uh, about to throw him and then the Rams scrimmaged at SoFi Stadium for the first time so we got to see the the Rams reaction to what the the finished product of SoFi Stadium was and then the first practices with pads was just cool to see because it, it felt like we were getting to see some real football and it, along with getting to see some real football was the the acknowledgement of that players were really think it's weird that there's no preseason so uh those were just some of the highlights for me from episode three tyler tyler what were some of the highlights for you from episode three the keenan allen and chris harris stuff was great um that was dope to see and you know there was a lot of respect between those guys which was they kind of tried to make it into more of a battle than it was but it seemed like they those guys had had each other's respect yeah, and even even one of the coaches uh, asked Chris Harris, like, "Hey, remember that play in '18? Like, was it hold or PI on you, or was it PI on Keenan? Like, tell me the truth, kind of thing." And Chris obviously obviously said it was PI on Keenan, and and all the Chargers were, were still giving him shit for it. Yeah, no. So that that was like that's gold. That's kind of stuff that like fans want to see. You know, uh, that's the kind of stuff that we hope goes on at practice is the best versus the best. Right. Uh, and that's what those guys are. Uh, but dude, I fucking hate that Clay Johnston kid. <laughs> if that kid was uh, if that kid was on my football team, dude, I would, I'd end up, I'd end up getting kicked out of practice or something. I mean, I can't, I couldn't stand him. I, I don't know, just his vocabulary was awful. He doesn't like, cuss, I guess. Cuss. So it's it's really funny when he says fudge. Yeah. That's fine. That's whatever. But just don't say anything. Like if someone <laughs> says, if I'm playing, if I'm playing football in the middle linebacker, saying fudge. I'm not intimidating the slightest. I'm just like, this kid's a nerd. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, uh, I couldn't do it, man. I was just like, it was painful to hear him talk. Um, but uh, I don't think he's making the team. I don't think he's making the team either, but it, he, it came dude, close. He, he almost got on, cut. Every, t- every time he's on screen, he's talking about how bad he did. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> Always man, making mistakes. Dude, like, I'm just like, fuck, man, this kid is not who I want on my football team. Like, I'm sure he's a bust-ass worker and, like, a really good kid, but there's no edge, no nastiness, no, like, no swagger to it. I mean, that's just – I I couldn't take it, dude. (laughs) All right. uh, Episode four, uh, there was obviously a lot 
surrounding how the NFL and specifically the Rams and the Chargers handled the aftermath of the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We got to see a, uh, a peek into the actual team meeting the, the Chargers had before canceling their scrimmage at SoFi Stadium in protest after the Milwaukee Bucks boycotted their NBA playoff game. So it was it was interesting to to see all the the dynamics of that and how each team dealt with it. Um, another thing, kind of kind of what Tyler was saying, uh, kind of what we hope to see in practice is the best going up against the best was the Van Jefferson uh, Jalen Ramsey battles in practice for uh, with the rookie wide receiver Van Jefferson from the from the Rams going up against obviously all pro Pro Bowl cornerback. Uh, Jalen Ramsey that was that was cool to see that dynamic you always want to see uh, vets pushing young guys and young guys pushing vets so that that was really fun to watch especially for me as a Rams fan getting to see that competition and then kind of going along with the players uh, thinking it's weird with no preseason in episode three the the storyline of bubble players not getting opportunities because of there not being a preseason was pretty prevalent in the fourth episode. So I thought it was really interesting that they they touched on that. Tyler, what what was some things you you saw from episode four? Yeah, I mean uh, McVeigh's uh, McVeigh's natural reaction to the to the Jacob Blake shooting was like probably the best part. Yeah, him seeing it for the first time. Yeah, just to see someone's kind of reaction and for him to have the similar reaction to, you know, myself and I'm sure so many others, like, just like, wow, man, this stuff really does make you sick. And um, it was just, I mean, I don't know if you knew or not, but it seemed pretty genuine. So that was kind of, uh, it was nice to see McVeigh uh, react like that. Um, And then, like, you know, as far as just everything that's gone on this NFL preseason with, you know, um, the social injustices and, you know, COVID-19, um, it sucks for all these young players that are kind of fighting and scrapping because this season is different than every other season. Um, there's definitely going to be a ton of players cut that would have made the team all over the NFL. And that's, you know, it's going to be maybe 100 guys end up getting cut that wouldn't have gotten cut, and I think that a lot of players are going to be able to ride off of being a veteran. So if you've been with the team two, three years, or you've been in the NFL two, three, four years, you're, you know, you have just such a massive advantage um, than most years because of the preseason uh, scenario for the NFL. Yeah, but all right, the the season finale is next week, so we will definitely have our thoughts for you on that coming up next episode. But uh, all right, let's talk some NBA playoffs. Come on, you're getting paid. Ask something. Three seconds at midcourt. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. Did I miss anything while I was gone? Alright guys, 
the NBA playoffs, we are in the thick of it. We're we're in the second round now. Uh, there's still one first round game being played. Uh, it's game seven between the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. There's currently four minutes and 19 seconds left. Houston is up 75-72. And the winner of that game seven moves on to play the Lakers who finished off the Portland Trailblazers four to uh, four to one in five games just like I predicted uh, like I said they now await the winner of game seven between the Rockets and the Thunder the underdog Lakers yeah the uh, the underdog Lakers exactly uh, uh, get that upset win over Portland <laughs> yeah man I, everybody was thinking that Portland had a chance but no come on Let's stop it. But all right, I, what I really wanted to talk about was Houston and Oklahoma City, and I wanted to to get your guys' thoughts on who you guys' thought was the better matchup for the Lakers or who you guys think the Lakers would prefer to play in the second round. So, Jacob, I'll ask you first, who do you think the Lakers would prefer to see in the second round? And really, who who would you rather the Lakers play in the second round? I personally would want them to to match up with OKC. I know it's it's kind of a a pick your poison because the Lakers did struggle with guard play. They were struggling with with the Blazers for a little bit between CJ and Dame. Obviously, they kind of handled that in the series. But with the Rockets, you have such a dynamic guard play with Westbrook and Harden. Mind you, these guys can go off on a given night, and they were scary in the first two games with their bench shooting very well. However. I would rather the Lakers play OKC because, yeah, they do have their trifecta of guards, and it's a crazy lineup too. But in in some games against the Rockets, they seem to neutralize it. And, again, the Lakers don't really defend very well against elite guards, but I just feel like they would be better off playing the guards of OKC because they're not as elite as Houston's guards are. Mind you, they have Chris Paul, and he's there hasn't been anybody more clutch in the fourth quarter than him. No one expected Chris Paul to do what he did this year with the Thunder. They, yeah, they completely rid him off and the Thunder. This was supposed to be a rebuilding season, and look at how far they are. They could potentially go to the second round. But I think if you're the Lakers, you kind of hope for the for the Thunder just because I think you match up better with them. Tyler, what about you? I so badly want to say, okay, she's the bigger threat, but I don't think – I think Houston's – I think Houston's the bigger threat, so – I'd want to see I want, I, if I was the Lakers. I'd want to see OKC, and I also think that that's who the Lakers want to see. Interesting. It's fairly off. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know Houston's defense is obviously not as much of a threat as OKC. Although I think Houston has better matchups for Braun than Oklahoma City does. Uh, but what scares you is the scoring ability of Harden. So and know, Westbrook. He can, yeah. And if it, so if he could put, you know, if they put their team on their back and they get up into the 120s, 130s, like they have the ability to do, then that's where that's really the only threat against the Lakers. They're, they're going to be either one of these teams. Um, so I guess it really is just I think Harden is the bigger threat than OKC. Yeah, I mean, for me, if I was the Lakers – what time? I want OKC to win. I want OKC to win this game. Though. Oh, I know. I'm rooting for them right now. So so bad. I mean, for me, if I was the Lakers, though, I know obviously going up against Westbrook and Harden, that is a daunting task given what the Lakers' guard core looks like right now. But 
I was very impressed with the way Caruso and Danny Green and KCP stepped up on defense to guard CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard in the first in the first round. So I mean, I definitely think they would be able to hold their own against James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And you do have Rajon Rondo coming back from injury. Frank Vogel said that he was hoping and expecting him to be in the lineup and in the rotation. I know Rajon Rondo is probably the last name Lakers fans want to hear because of how he performed this year especially, but it is another body to throw out there. And with Houston's lack of size, it's clearly the better matchup for Anthony Davis and the bigs. He's the one who will flourish in this matchup if they play the Rockets. Is that the guards? Will, the guards will kind of be neutralized. James will have his, of course, but I think Davis has a really big game because the Rockets play this small ball lineup all the time, and I think your five at times is PJ Tucker. I mean, yeah, it's either PJ Tucker, or probably Robert Covington, and I mean Tyson Chandler saw his first action in months, probably. I mean they're gonna they would have to use him against the Lakers, but with PJ Tucker being the center and having to guard big men for three quarters by the fourth quarter his legs are gassed he's done plus between him and Covington they'll probably have to trade off who guards LeBron because Harden won't guard LeBron neither will Westbrook Westbrook has to handle all the other Laker guards so between Tucker and Covington I think they're going to swap out turns I don't know how it's going to work because you have one of these guys playing the five but these guys are probably going to take on the task of, of shutting down LeBron or maintaining him Man, I think Houston's got much better matchups um, for Braun and Ant than OKC does. I mean, who does that OKC have? You know, Stephen Adams and Nerlens Noel. So yeah, I mean, but, either way, but Ant's both those guys, but, but but both those guys are going to guard Javale and going to guard Javale and Dwight. I mean, Ant doesn't want to play the five. He plays maybe five six minutes a night at the five. Well, so, so then it's going to be Danilo Gallinari, who Ant Davis will eat up. Which is a joke. So it's like <laughs> I'll take PJ, I'll take PJ Tucker, Robert Covington, on on Ant Davis all like all day over Gallo. Like if I'm if I'm Ant, I want Gallo. I don't want I don't want Covington, and I don't want PJ. If I'm Ant, it shouldn't the, matter. And, well, no, and it doesn't. Like I said, they're gonna win either way. It don't matter. But yeah. I think that just because the Houston Rockets don't have a center doesn't mean they don't match up with those forwards. I mean, Robert Covington is a way better matchup for Braun than any of those any of those Thunder players. Yeah. Oh, easily. And I, and, and I looked at I look for Houston. I mean, I look for them to start another forward rather than Gordon, Eric Gordon. Yeah, I would have to. Um, I would I, think Eric Gordon's coming off the bench against the Lakers, just matchups wise. Yeah, I don't think they're going to start Chandler, but I think they start Daniel House maybe. Uh, maybe put Daniel House on LeBron. Um, so ben Macklemore, Austin Rivers. But see, Macklemore and Rivers, I think, are just as they're, they're just too as small. Ineffective there. And exactly. we're also forgetting we're forgetting about Jeff Green too. He's, he's played great too in those first three games. No, Jeff Green's great. I think that they need him off the bench to come play that that four of the five position. He would. I mean, if they plugged him in the starting lineup, I think that Green and Covington. Or as good of a matchup for Braun and Ant is as anything OKC's got. I guess all of If I'm the Lakers, I want OKC. I want that defense. Yeah, we'll, we'll take the we'll take the guard play. Um, I I would I'd rather have Braun and Ant Davis eating against you know Gallo and 
whoever their other starting forward is. Lou Dort? No, he uh, he's their shooting. Yeah, guard, he's been doing well. I think the only reason why I chose he's starting, he's starting just because of Harden. So like he's not. Well, yeah, that's his job in the series right now. Yeah, he's doing a hell of yeah. a job too. But I think the only reason why I'm going with OKC, not because the Lakers want you know an easier matchup, but I just think of the story of of the Thunder this year. Again, we said they were written off, and for them to get to the to the semis, I think would be great. You know, yeah, you would want to see Houston there because you know. I, I, Earlier on in the year when they got Westbrook, they were favorites, but I just think it'd be a hell of a series between Chris Paul and James. So, Tyler, you said that uh, either way, no matter who they're playing, Lakers win. You want to put a number of games on the series or no? doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think that the Thunder would struggle getting one win. Uh, I think that the Houston Rockets would probably get one or two just because – you know, I know he's on the hot seat right now, but D'Antoni still knows how to coach offense. So um, I've seen him win a lot of playoff games in my life. So I don't, I'm not necessarily going to just completely count the Rockets out as far as the ability to win one or two games. But the Lakers definitely aren't going to see a game seven. And I hardly doubt they even see a game six. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think uh, no matter if it's Houston or the Thunder, it's most likely going five. At most, it's going six. I, I yeah I mean I would if if we were if next episode we're like okay who's gonna win L A OKC I honestly I'd probably say L A in a sweep but Houston would be like five or six yeah Jacob what about you if if it's OKC I'm probably gonna give them five I think if you match up with Houston you could potentially see six games if you're the Lakers okay. All right, the other uh, Western Conference semifinals matchup is the Clippers versus the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers closed out the Dallas Mavericks in five games. Um, the Mavericks, obviously, they had strong performances behind Luka carrying them the entire way. It was tough seeing Chris Porzingis go down, but we knew re- realistically at the end of the day the Clippers were going to win that series. But if Luka and Chris Apps were both there for the entirety of that series, I think it realistically goes seven games just based off of how that series was going in the first couple of games with Chris Stapps Porzingis out there. But on the other hand, the Nuggets and Jazz, they went seven games, and it was probably the most exciting series of the entire first round, and I don't think anybody would have expected that. Jamal Murray and Donovan no. Mitchell, the, those two guys I think are going to forever be linked because of this series in the first round in the bubble and the the historic nature of what's happening down in the bubble uh Jamal and and Spida I think they're they're linked forever now the Clippers versus the Nuggets it's it's an interesting matchup obviously Denver has the size advantage I think anybody really has the size advantage over over the Clippers similar to Houston because they don't minus Zubac they don't really have uh, a legit center and I know Zubac's been great on the defensive end this year but I mean, Zubak isn't holding, and like he's not holding Nikola Jokic's jock strap. Like Nikola Jokic, Plumlee, Michael Porter Jr. The the size that Denver has is is definitely to their advantage. But on the flip side, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and if those two guys are on, the Clippers are pretty unstoppable. So it's going to be a really interesting series to watch. Uh, I saw a really interesting quote from Michael Porter Jr. Uh, He was asked about uh, if he thought the Clippers were going to draft him the year he was drafted, and apparently Michael Porter Jr. said that the Clippers doctor said 
based off of his injuries, he was never going to play basketball again. So Michael Porter Jr. has some extra motivation going into this series. But ultimately, I think I think the Clippers win in six. Yeah, um, I don't think Denver's going to struggle in this one. I think Denver's completely outmatched outside of Jokic. Um, obviously, Jamal Murray's a good player, but he doesn't have, they just not enough firepower. Not enough, you know, I don't know who's going to get, who, you know, Jamal Murray can't score 50 every single night yeah. and beat the Clippers. Like, even 50 a night doesn't do it. You're going to have to get some sort of, like, output. And, you know, Gary Harris is just coming off of injury. And they really just, they don't have offensive firepower uh, as far as, like, go-to guys in playoff series. They play team basketball. It'd be a different story if they were playing in Denver where these role players could really excel at home. But and they have the altitude to the, their advantage. Yeah, that's just not the case. So um, I think L.A.'s talent and kind of superstar power just dominates them. They'll be lucky to win a game. So Clippers in five at the max. Jacob? Yeah, if they if the Nuggets want any chance of winning, Jokic has to have a good series. And with Murray, Murray's going to be neutralized only because the Clippers have so many uh, pieces on the defensive side that can just shut him down. Between, yeah, they have so much Leonard and so many different options yeah. they could throw Jamal Murray's way to to guard him. They could put Paul George on him. They could put Kawhi Leonard on and him. You, they could you put might Lou get, Williams on him. You might get Pat, Pat Bev back soon yeah so you get you that's another guy you you want on your team and that's another guy who can guard murray pat beverly missing the last uh, i think it was four games it, it might have been the three three games of, of the maverick series definitely hurt the clippers and they're not the same team without pat beverly no matter how much shit i talk about him it, he does bring something to the clippers and and they are a different team when he's out there so well, hopefully well, they can get him back well it's funny when i was watching the the uh, the game when they eliminate the Mavs, you saw the the foul on uh, Morris on Luca. Now I told I told one of my friends that that's not the kind of of action you need from a player like that. Pat Bev runs his mouth, but he does it in a way that gets his team going. You don't he doesn't get ejected like Morris did. And so yes, him missing these couple games did hurt him. They were still able to pull it through, but I think they really need him in these next two series. Yeah, more that that moment for Morris was so all the old heads could be happy. <laughs> That's the kind of basketball they always want to see. Yeah, but but I mean, he was just Luca. Luca kicked their ass up and down the court every game of that series. If Porzingis is there, it's a different series. Yeah, totally. Now, all right, let's go to the Eastern Conference. We got two series where it's two zero. Boston versus Toronto. Boston's up 2-0. Boston looks like they're full steam ahead on on their mission to represent the East in the NBA Finals. And they, they've they really neutralized Toronto, and Toronto hasn't really looked all that competitive in this series. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that the, the defending champs, especially with how they performed in the first round, have really laid an egg against Boston. But Boston's talent just keeps proving once again that they are just on a path to to stardom boston is winning the east uh yeah it's just, it's just crazy i mean nick nurse and brad stevens are two of the best in the game nick nurse just won um nick nurse just won coach of the year but i've always said brad stevens is 
he's only a, he's a Greg Popovich away from being the best coach in the league. And so, you know, Stevens, I just like what he's doing right now is so impressive. And it's a, it, to me, it comes down to like a fundamental coaching strategy. Whereas Stevens has depth on for his first and his second team. Um, his second team is, you know, I mean, loaded, especially when Smart can come off the bench. Um, and if he's shooting so the way he was shooting in game two, whoo. And with, you know, and with Wanamaker and Grant Williams and Edith Cantor and all these guys, I mean, they they, they play a d- deep game. And Nick Nurse plays his, his, his five, six guys 40 minutes a game. So, you know, maybe that maybe that has something to do with it. You're seeing kind of like, which I, I, I've always liked about Nick Nurse. I would, I feel like I would coach the same way. I don't care how good my backups are. If my, if the guy that's the best, you know, can play, I need him on the court. Um, so it's just super impressive to me what Boston is doing handling like that. I thought it would be a much closer series. So did I. And, and Toronto has just looked so good um, in the first round that, I mean, and so did, Boston did as well, but, God damn! I mean, Boston just looks dialed in, and and they're deep, and they're talented, and they're versatile. Well, it almost looks like fool's gold on the Raptors' point in their first round because yeah, they played a weaker opponent, but you know, and you didn't want to write them off because they were the defending champs, with people forgot about. But Boston has had a mission since the beginning of the season, and it's it's funny they're still without Hayward. Don't have him. Yeah. Just, just imagine what they could be if they still have him. He's. He was a key contributor. He was a starter at, at at best too, but still dealing with the injury. But those those four guys between Marcus Smart, who is the heart and soul of that team, for sure, and especially the voice of that team. And then you have Kemba and Jalen Brown and um, and Tatum have been those two guys that you can really rely on. Yeah, and I'm, it's interesting hearing some of the comments come out of Boston uh, over the last couple of days, and I I'm, I'm pretty sure they even mentioned. I don't think they mentioned Kyrie by name, but the there were basically some quotes coming out insinuating that this is a completely different team that because Kyrie isn't here. Yeah, we've always said that he was the issue on that team. Yeah. So I mean, listen, it's Boston and Toronto. I still think Toronto has a chance to win some games in this series. I th- I don't I'm, know. I'm thinking maybe like one. Yeah, two. I, I I think it's Boston in five, but. Toronto just it they don't look the same as they did in the first round and I think it's because they don't have that go-to player like they had with Kawhi and I know that's been the knock on them all year and everyone was saying that but in the playoffs that's what you need and I don't think a team with Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam as as the leaders and the go-to guys is going to get it done in the playoffs. So it's it it looks yeah, like it's a don't give them don't, I just you can't give them that out. I mean they got players. I mean no, they have players, they got, but they, they got go to guys down the stretch. Siakam's a top five player in the East. I mean he I should am, be he should be he should be disrespected about the way they talk about Tatum. You know what I mean? I understand that, but Boston just has completely neutralized them. Yeah, I think they're being out coached. Plain and simple, I think. The reason why Toronto won was because they were so well coached. Their scheme was so perfect. Their rotation was tight. Um, they had, you know, they have depth where they need it, and they have and they have guys that can hit shots. That even 
Van Vliet's been a great scorer all season, and then you got Lowry, who's, who's been there and done that for, for, for years now. Um, I, I think it's more Boston than Toronto. Yeah. No, I, I feel you on that. But, all right, the the last series and this game ended uh, a couple hours ago before this Houston Rockets and Oklahoma City Thunder game, which the Rockets and Thunder are currently uh, – have nine minutes, 17 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Houston's up 91 to 89. But this Miami-Milwaukee series has not gone the way I think the majority of people thought it was going to. Miami stole game one behind Jimmy Butler's 40-point performance and Giannis, the defensive player of the year, as he was voted by the, oh, the media and all of that. <laughs> he was ducking old Jimmy Buckets in crunch time in game one, and he said that he was listening to his coach. But, I mean, listen, as a superstar, you got to take that challenge on, especially if the other superstar on the other team is is putting 40 on you. But... That was game one. Miami steals game one. And then game two had a wild finish. There there were some pretty interesting, most people would probably call bogus, foul calls on, on the two last possessions of the game for Milwaukee and Miami. Chris Middleton gets fouled on a three-point attempt to take the lead and on, on one end. And then the next play down, Jimmy Butler gets fouled. Uh, on a fadeaway two-pointer from the short corner, basically. And Jimmy Butler, I think they even deemed it a flagrant foul because Jimmy Butler was taking free throws with nobody uh, on the on the sides of the the paint. So Jimmy Butler makes those two free throws to, to ice the game and win the game for Miami 116 to 114 over the Bucks to take a 2-0 lead and I think we're on a crash course for Miami Boston Eastern Conference Finals, folks. I don't know who I don't know who's going to stop Jimmy Butler. And that's the way it's looking well, right now coming into the series. Does it surprise me that the Bucks are having a hard time with the Heat? No, but did I think they were going to be down 2-0? I, yeah, I didn't think they were going to be down 2-0. No, that I didn't. I knew that they were going to have trouble with the Heat, but not like this, not down 2-0 because the Bucks, if you don't get offense from Giannis, and he's not going, then your shooters aren't going. That's when you have a problem. Yeah, their defense is still there if you're Milwaukee, but it, where do you generate the offense from? That's always been the case with them is that, yes, you have him, the MVP, and now the you know the, the defensive uh, player of the year, but where's his second guy? Middleton, we never knew if he was that second guy. Okay, well, all right. First of all, my, from the Miami side of this conversation, I fuck with this team tough. I've been excited. <laughs> I've been excited to see, you know, they were, I truly saw the dark horse to come out of the East because of fucking Jimmy Buzz. Now, like, I'm not going to say that I knew, you know, knew they'd be Milwaukee. I didn't think it'd be up 2-0. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that, but it's, 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 it's dope to see because it's just showing you how truly good Jimmy Butler is. And, you know, Scar, I don't know if you remember, but we ranked, all of our all the players in the NBA by position, um, and this year when we did the top ten wings in the NBA, I had my boy Jimmy at number one, and that was kind of yeah I remember over Clay, over you know Brad Beal, CJ, any of those guys you want to throw out that play the wing position, kind of that two three position, 
I think he's the best in the league at it. And it was and that the reasons I brought up were because of his competitive his competitive spirit, his leadership, his 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 fire, his nastiness. He's like he's got a little bit of a Jordan, you know, kind of he's probably not always the nicest guy. Um, not always the easiest to play with. This dude this dude just wins basketball games and he can just put a team on his back. He's a bona fide uh bona fide superstar. So I mean I, at this point being up two oh they got they're gonna win this series. Milwaukee's for sure gonna come back and win some games, but I think my I think we are gearing up for Boston Miami, which is gonna be such a such a great series. Uh, now from the Bucks side of all this, I think uh, hey, they're getting their ass kicked by Jimmy Butler and Spolstra and all the role players. Um, B I think that I think that, you know, what I've always said is Giannis needed a Pippen and Middleton was definitely not that. And, you know, I think it's tough, man. When they were, they were down three when Chris Middleton got fouled and, you know, Corey texted me, it's like, who takes this last shot? And it's like, fuck, you know, when you're down three for the bucks and taking a last shot, you can't be on do it. Right. It's like, damn. So now I'm looking at Kyle Corver, a guy on a veteran minimum contract, taking, taking the shot for my, you know, playoff life. I think that Giannis needs a perimeter Pippen um, to kind of help him out in these situations. Uh, and then as far as, like, the defense goes, I don't think – I think people are being too harsh on him as far as decision-making goes. Only no, because I do feel like it, it's a coaching decision. He should guard one or the other. You know, he should guard a big. He should guard a small. It's got to be one or the other. Uh, if I was just voted – if I was just voted defensive player of the year – and my coach says, okay, no, you're well, not guarding well, the best player on the other team. I'm demanding that I do that. That's No, okay, that's not so, flying so, with me. So, I mean, so my example was Gary Payton in 1996 NBA Finals. Gary but he was Payton hurt was then. The, I mean, uh, supposedly, I, I read that in George Carl's book. I mean, that's not something that's necessarily talked about in the masses. And, Gary and Payton mentioned Carl. it in the last dance that he was also hurt. Okay, But he still wanted, right. he still wanted to guard him. And he did, and he, they had to wait till game four down 3 until George Carl. I mean, it's strategic. He, Giannis is now. Now was a bad coaching decision. Just like I think they not put Giannis on Jimmy at the end is a bad coaching decision. But I also believe that Giannis is is an elite is an elite off ball defender. I don't think that necessarily his strengths are as an on ball defender. It frustrates people. It's similar to LeBron being a facilitator. People want to see the best um, take it over at the end. But, you know, if you play 2K, he kind of has the intimidator badge. I yeah. mean, you saw the stat that when he's around you, you don't shoot a good percentage. I think he can help protect the rim and, and be on the outside of the perimeter in the passing lanes. So it was a strategic move to not do it. Did it work out? No. Do I agree with it? No. But uh, I don't think it's on Giannis. Um, I think that he's an, an elite defender um, and definitely worthy of defensive player of the year. Maybe not the most deserving, but he's definitely he's, he's up there. No, I think he's a good defender. I I just am still salty about Anthony Davis not winning defensive. Yeah, player you just of the year. feel like somebody else should have won that award. Yeah, I think if Anthony Davis would get his ass playing the center position, he probably would get it. Well, that's a story it, for another day. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> But take an easy way out. So all right. So who do you think ultimately wins the series then, Tyler? I think Miami wins the series. 
Yeah, so do I. Do you think Milwaukee wins a game or two, or do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely six games, okay. maybe seven. But it goes in game seven, then that's Jimmy's game. Yeah, Jacob. What about you? I, mean, I hate I hate to write them off, you know, another year in a row, but I think it's over for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think maybe they win one or two games, but the Heat have too many scrappy players, and when you have Butler, you know, behind you, it makes it that much easier. Yeah, I think I think Tyler's right. If this series does go seven, that falls right into Jimmy Butler's hands, and that's he's going to have Milwaukee and Giannis right where he wants them if it goes seven games. But but ultimately, did, I, did you? What's up? Did you guys did you guys see the clip of like there's like a bunch of cars parked in a row and there's like a lion walking around? No. Have you seen that social media clip? It's like, dude, there's just a bunch of cars like lined up, uh, like on a country. Like obviously they probably you know sign up for this experience, but there's a fucking huge ass tiger walking around or lion, huge ass lion walking around. Like a male line, huge mane. I mean, massive. It looks like it's three hundred pounds. Um, but I saw, I saw a uh, someone post that video and said Jimmy Butler walking around the bubble. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, Jimmy Butler thrives in these kinds of scenarios. So it, it, it he's doing exactly what I expected him to do. But uh, I think Miami takes this series in in six games and and like i said when i when i started the the talk about this specific series i I think we're on a crash course for heat celtics in the eastern conference finals i would love to see that series that's up for grabs too that's like anyone can win that one yeah for sure that that's going to be that that series would definitely go at least six or seven games but all right let's uh let's well before we hit the before we talk about what's happening on the diamond, this is uh, this segment of the Sports Kingdom show is sponsored by J Diamond Estates. For all your real estate needs here in the Los Angeles area, contact Jacob Diamond at 818-451-8539. Or you can check out his website, jdiamondestates.com, DRE number 02068311. So we had Major League Baseball's trade deadline the other day. I'm pretty sure it was the August 31st. And the something we, we talked about, uh, I don't remember if it had to do specifically with baseball, but uh, we talked about if player or if teams were going to be active at trade deadlines in, in terms of moving players around and, and jumping from locker room to locker room in terms of trying to 
to mitigate COVID-19. We, we weren't sure if that was going to play, uh, play a role in maybe a trade deadline not being as active as it might be. But um, there was some player movement. So the Dodgers traded Ross Stripling, he's a pitcher, to the Toronto Blue Jays, actually reuniting him with former Dodger Hun Jin Ryu, who signed with the Blue Jays in the offseason. And basically, Ross Stripling in spring training was back before COVID-19 hit. Uh, he was fighting for a starting spot in the rotation, and he thought he was deserving of it. And then COVID hit, took a hiatus, blah, blah, blah. Then that second summer camp starts and Ross doesn't end up making the starting rotation and he got put in the bullpen and then Dodgers had some injuries. They move him up to a starter again and he, let I mean, flat out, he was leading the league in home runs given up. So it really just wasn't a fit anymore for the Dodgers, especially with the emergence of Tony Gonsolin. But... The Dodgers also didn't feel right putting Ross Stripling back in the bullpen, so they decided it was best for both of both parties to basically part ways, and they ultimately traded Ross to Toronto, and the Dodgers got two players to be named later in return for Ross Stripling. One of those players we found out yesterday was right-handed pitcher Kendall Williams, who was a second-round pick for the Blue Jays in 2019. So hopefully... Uh, Kendall Williams will be able to make the big league roster in a couple of years. He's only in his second year. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But the Mariners, they made three trades. The first trade was trading pitcher Taiwan Walker to also the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for a player to be named later. And then the second and third moves were with the Padres. And that was more kind of what I wanted to to talk about since the Padres were really the biggest story of the trade deadline and really they've been the story of the entire MLB season the the Padres have come out of the gate very hot especially in this 60 game season where it changes teams whole strategies because you are in a sprint to the playoffs uh, currently the the Padres are five games behind the Dodgers uh, the Dodgers are 27 and 10, the Padres 22 and 15. But with the expanded playoffs, the Padres are most likely going to make the playoffs this year for the first time in many years. And they had a huge trade deadline. They got a great pitcher in Mike Clevenger from the Indians. They got a reliever, Mike Taylor, from the Mariners. They got a catcher, Austin Nola, from the Mariners. They got another catcher, Jacob Castro, from the Angels. They got first baseman and World Series champion Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox. So that brings a veteran into the clubhouse that knows what it takes to win a World Series. And then they got a really solid reliever in Trevor Rosenthal from the Kansas City Royals. So I wanted, I wanted to, to really talk about the psyche of a team like the Padres. They're in win-now mode. So obviously they, they got off to a lot better of a start than they thought they might have got off to if this was a 162-game season. But because it's a 60-game season, they see themselves in a position where they are in the hunt for the playoffs and for the World Series. So what does it say 
uh, about a team who makes these kinds of moves? Do you think they're trying to do too much to shake things up to to put them over the top, or do you think a team like the Padres needs to make these kinds of moves to get over the top? I think they definitely need these kinds of moves to make that jump. But I will credit them in the sense where they did these trades in a smart way because they were able to trade away guys with well, while retaining their key draft picks or, or, or young prospects they, and and their key players. Yeah, they did have to give up a lot of prospects in they these did, deals, yeah. especially the Mike Clevenger trade. It was a nine-player trade, but they're still boasting a, I believe, a, a top five, maybe even a, a, a top ten farm system in the majors still even after giving up so much at the deadline yeah so again i think that's why it was a smart way of going i don't think they overcompensated and just started you know sending away players because again they did keep a lot of their key players that you know are you know potential all-stars and and great players and for them they're in, in great sites because they're only five games behind the dodgers which have been which have had a hell of a season. Yeah, the Dodgers have been lights and, out. Yeah, and the Padres if you're only 5 games behind, you have to look at yourself and say, "Hey, we're doing pretty good." Yeah, we're no, they're definitely yeah. in the hunt. Tyler, what what do you think about uh, a team maybe not getting off to the start that they thought in in a better way actually and then having to make a whole bunch of moves that they think will put them over the top? Do you think that's trying to do too much or do you think that's that's what the team needs? Yeah, that's what pro sports are all about. One championship, man, can carry a franchise for a long time. It can, it just make. I mean, you know, look at the Knicks. It's just a, pro sports are just a one. <laughs> pro sports are just. It's a championship. It's a championship mentality, and it, and it just brings in so much money uh, for a franchise. And it's it's so rare that you get an opportunity to become a champion. That um, you know, not knowing baseball, like you know, like a baseball person does <laughs> and just knowing, just knowing sports in general, it's like, I think that those are the right moves you have to do as a franchise, these bold steps to make the run. When you have the window, they didn't realize they were going to, they were going to have a window and they've adjusted. And I think that that's like, you know, it's similar to, to Boston with Danny Ainge. He just constantly adjusted and adjusted and did what was best for the team in the now and never suffered losses for it. So um, being on top of it, they're from San Diego, uh, being a smaller market like that, I think when you can bring a championship home to uh, San Diego, you got to go all out. Yeah. No, and I, I think it's it's always uh, a question of who's going to give me the best chance to win. And, Tyler, you've mentioned it, I, I believe, twice tonight in, in both football and basketball, so I'll mention it now for baseball the Padres making these moves, they're doing what they think is going to give them the best chance to win and though, and trying to put out the best nine guys to go win a ring. And I, I think sometimes making a lot of moves can backfire because it can disrupt the chemistry on the team. And I think in baseball, the, the clubhouse atmosphere and the clubhouse um, environment is really important to a team. But adding guys like Mike Clevenger, Mitch Moreland and Trevor Trevor Rosenthal, those are the those are the three big names that really stick out for me in in terms of of who the Padres added and those guys are going to give you the best chance to win along with the the Paddocks, the Tatis Juniors, 
and, and the other young stars that that San Diego has. So I think this was good for the Padres. I I'm not worried though. As a Dodger fan, it it doesn't really concern me that our rival is or our division rival is making these kinds of moves. Rival, they've been shit for years. Exactly. So I mean, yeah, they are in the hunt and they will most likely make the playoffs, but the Dodgers are still winning this division for the eighth year in a row. And it's funny because before baseball resumed, we talked about would certain teams have a better advantage because the stretch is shorter. And I think this favors the Padres, especially with all the trades that they made. Again, you don't want to blow up your, your clubhouse and make all these trades and then disrupt chemistry. But I think the way they went about it, though, played to their advantage. Yeah, totally. But all right, you guys, uh, you guys got any final thoughts before we get out of here? Any any shout outs? Anything else we we missed? No, I do have a shout out though. No. Go go Thunder! They're down by two right now. <laughs> oh, what's the score now? Ninety nine to one hundred one. Oh, geez, three minutes eight seconds left. All right, Tyler, you got a shout out before we get out of here? No, man, I'm I'm out of shout outs. All right, well, I'm I'm shouting out the goat, Michael Jordan, because he joined DraftKings as a special advisor. Uh, he's going to be advising their board of directors. He he's doing it in exchange for an equity stake in the company i think it's just an all-time move by by jordan especially after the gambling stuff got brought back up with with the last dance he's now going to be serving as a special advisor to the the board of directors for a gambling company like DraftKings. i think it's i think it's a cool move so just shout out to mj for for being the goat now don't forget this episode of the sports kingdom show is sponsored by campus point coffee support us support a company that makes probably the best coffee ever and is trying to help save the beaches just by entering promo code TSK show at checkout. That's promo code TSK show, promo code TSK show for 15% off your purchase at campuspointcoffee.com. With that, that wraps up this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow all of us as well at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double Underscore Gonzalez. We appreciate you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of the TSK Show. Peace.